Hello, and welcome back to the Urbanize podcast. My name is Wally Brown. I am the CEO, principal planner over at Equity Urban LLC, and I'm also the primary host for Urbanize, the podcast you're listening today. Today, we have a real treat. Uh, my friend, my colleague, my hero, Jaisha Brannon, will be talking to us today. Um, can you tell us a bit about yourself, Jaisha? Sure, that was a great introduction. Thank you, Wally. I appreciate that. Um, so my name is Jaisha Brannon. I go by Jay. Um, I am currently a civil engineering professional working for the City of Portland Bureau of Environmental Services. I'm born and raised Portlander. I have a bachelor's degree in civil engineering from the University of Portland. Um, has kind of an environmental focus. So I have a minor in environmental science, and I currently work on designing a collection system sewer pipe, as well as being a project manager and sometimes the construction manager. So I get to do all phases of an engineering project in public city infrastructure. I think that's great. That's very well rounded. Thank you. That's wow. I'm wondering, like, when people send you private messages, do they say that they are PMing the PM? <laughs> okay. I wish they would. All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. That's my one pun for the day. There, there will probably be more. Um, anyway, uh, what led you to uh, to the position that you work in today as a as an engineer? As a kid, I was always super interested in STEM, so science, technology, engineering, mathematics. I started off playing with Legos. Um, I always kind of had a creative background because I went to an arts magnet school in Portland, Buckman Elementary. And from there, it was kind of go the art route or go the engineering route with the schools. My parents always really were focused on finding schools that kind of culture or flirt met my needs as, as a student. So I ended up at Winter Haven, which was a technology focused school rather than the arts magnet, Da Vinci. I really wanted to go to the art school, but in the end, I'm really glad I ended up at Winter Haven because it's a science technology kind of um, focused school. And from there, I got into Lego robotics and that was my pathway into engineering. I loved building. I liked the creativity with it. It was really fun. It, these are my, like still some of my favorite memories. And Lego robots ended up bringing me into engineering as a high school student when I went to Cleveland High School where I was on a robotics team. And from there, I got to do what I'm really similar to just doing now as a project manager. I was helping lead a team to problem solve and get a task done. And we were just doing it with robots. And it wasn't Legos at that point anymore. It was metal and there was soldering and programming and all the things that were more mechanical engineering focused. Um, mm -hmm. as a high school student, I kind of got to choose which type of engineering I wanted to, to major in. Cause I knew I wanted to do engineering. I wasn't sure what type at that point, mechanical had been pretty much all my experience in robotics. I essentially picked civil engineering because it is the people's engineering. I've always wanted to give back and do community service. Cause it's a huge part of, um, my background and what kind of, uh, well rounds me and brings me joy. Um, is doing service work. So finding an engineering field that does that as well, that was civil engineering for me. It really is the people's engineering because it gives back in roads, bridges, uh, public infrastructure that everybody needs. And while it's not the most glamorous sometimes, um, without those assets, our cities would fail. So, so I ended up in civil. 
You see, I think that's great. And you know, we'll, we will keep today's conversation as civil as possible. So I think that that's, <laughs> that's really great. That was pun number two. That was pun number two. Okay. We're counting. That's great. I don't know. I never said, I don't, I've never said this. I have an episode on you. I didn't say it, but like you and me, I've, I feel like we're very similar. We're like kindred spirits. I actually, I used to be on my, on a robotics team. I went to space camp and we used to design like little Lego robots to like mine meteorites, you know, I, I remember those days. So that's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool doing Legos, you know, and I, I would bring my waffles too. So I could like Lego my egos, but they just ended up soggy. So anyway, let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about, we talked about where your uh, passion for STEM stems from. So I'm wondering who inspired you? Mae Jemison. My biggest inspiration as a kid was Mae Jemison. She is the first um, woman astronaut, black woman astronaut in space. So I had a poster of her in my room. Um, I thought she was just the coolest ever. And I still do. Like I just heard her speak for the first time uh, a couple of weeks ago and hearing her talk, it was like, I was listening to someone who was, you know, there's that song, um, you're singing my song. She just was saying everything that really resonated with me. I think if I met her, I think she'd be a kindred spirit too. Um, I just liked how multifaceted she is because she's a leader in STEM, a philanthropist, um, a doctor, highly educated, and a dancer. So she has that creativity still uh, as a passion for her that she was able to find mesh with her engineering and astron you know, being an astronaut. You don't always see those types of um, holistic engineers. People think once you pick STEM, that's all you can do. Um, I myself, I'm an artist on the side, so I like the fact that you can do multiple things and be good at multiple things oh, yeah. and have space for all those things. I think that's great. Weird question for you, Jay. If you had to choose, if you could definitely meet Mae Jemison, and you could choose to either hug her or have a conversation with her, which one would you do? Which one would you pick? Oh, definitely a conversation. Okay. That's great. That's great. I'm just asking. Okay. <laughs> so uh, what is <laughs> a complete U-turn? Uh, what is your role's relationship with local urban planners and urban planning as an engineer? As an engineer, I like to think that we end up with the final product of what urban planners and urban planning does. Um, before a project starts, it goes through a lot of phases and engineers aren't always involved from the beginning. I, I kind of wish we were so we could collaborate more with people like yourself. Mm. Um, but normally we get it when it's been packaged in a way that it's just a problem, go solve it. And I think urban planning and planners take it from the beginning and kind of say, where is this need? And we end up getting it as engineers um, and to, to manage and design. So I don't work directly with planners but I get to see the product of a planner's work. And when it comes packaged to me in a neighborhood that I have to do work in or um, a proposal or a community outreach plan, things that are total assets I have to use in my job. Mm. That makes sense. That makes sense. So I, I wrote down a note to self, involve engineers early on in the process. That's great. <laughs> and so let's talk about like your role with community members. So if you kind of get what, like civil engineering is like engineering for the people and you're kind of disconnected from like the planners and like the social sense, at least in the planning process, what is, what is your role's relationship with local community members? 
So that is something that I have to say is new to the engineering field. Um, with this, you know, uprising in DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion work, there has been kind of a push for engineers to stop thinking of problem solving in, in the asset management perspective. We fix things that are broken. We fix things that need solutions. But the new way of doing engineering is bringing the community into these decisions. Um, so, for instance, with the pipe, pipe repair that I do for the city of Portland as a design engineer, we have to start thinking um, to change that perspective, is there a reason the community might distrust me as a government engineer coming to work on this? Is there, how do we build trust to work on future infrastructure? If we had a problem in a neighborhood with community members, we wanna make sure that we are addressing their needs and talking with them, telling them and informing why we're doing this work. People think engineering and it's too high level. We don't need to, to do that, we need to communicate. It's not too high level. We can start finding the questions or answering questions from folks on uh, what their needs are in a, in a, it, for a community project. Sometimes we'll find out that there's more things that need to be engineered. Um, so like I said, it's kind of a new perspective for engineering to involve the community in this way in the design phase, um, but it's super important and I'm glad to see it's happening. Um, it's changing our engineering from asset, asset management. It's doing community involvement early on. Um, so right now on projects that I work on in the community, we do an outreach plan. Uh, which community members are going to be impacted by this project? Am I going to mess up their work schedule getting to TriMet? Am I going to be loud while their kids are sleeping and they're working from home? These are all considerations that are now being done. And we have a team that works on this with us. So engineers are not always the best people skills, um, but City engineers do get to uh, do their public outreach themselves, depending on which group you work with. That makes sense. So I have a question for you. Who is an engineer's best friend in the city? Like as you're working as an engineer, who is like the, who's like a role that isn't an engineer that you're like, man, I'm really glad that this person is here supporting me. Public involvement officers. So that's that community outreach folks. Um, they're the right hand for getting any of this work done. Whenever I get calls from the public, sometimes they're the hardest folks to deal with because I don't know how to answer sometimes. As an engineer, I can tell them all the reasons why I'm upsizing this pipe, but that's not going to help um, ease their pain on the fact that I'm being too loud as we do a trenchless bore into a street. Um, having public involvement come and be part of the team and help convey what we're doing is so important. Mm. So I communicate with public involvement officers all the time. And <laughs> all of them are my personal friends because of the relationship we've built over projects. That's great. Thank you, Jay. Wow. So let's see. I mean, now we got a big one. How, how does your role support the functioning of the city? Because I'm a design engineer for wastewater collection systems, if you flush your toilet and it didn't go anywhere, that would be a problem. So our function as a wastewater pipe design engineer uh, is supporting the city by making sure that we are transporting wastewater and stormwater to force mains and pump stations so it can be treated. Uh, without those, that infrastructure, uh, 
it would it would be bad. People would notice. And Portland did have that in its past. We did used to have sewage in the streets, and there were you know high rates of infection and disease. And so, um, sewer and wastewater engineers are very important. So it it helps support the function of a city to avoid waste and prevent disease. That's great. The the public health side of this podcast appreciates you, <laughs> and of the city. You know, we appreciate well, it. As engineering, it's kind of a, a, a profession that isn't just about problem solving. We have a code of ethics that actually puts public welfare and health at kind of the, the top. Um, and I think wastewater engineering is it really clearly shows how that's important. <laughs> that's great. Thank you, Jay. So what about this? Can you tell us about a time when you have actively been involved in shaping the physical landscape of Portland? Yes, those are my favorite types of projects. So a lot of the pipe design work that I do when it goes into construction, it's underground. There's a whole network of pipes and collection system sewers that are underground. So no one really sees those, but the projects that I do have sometimes are physical landscape that people can see. Um, I was able to work on the Mount Tabor Reservoir one. Um, so that was a reservoir, which is purely aesthetic, but is a historical nature to Portland. Um, yeah. Folks in Mount Tabor are pretty happy and pleased with how beautiful that park is. So I got to work on a restoration um, project to restore Reservoir 1 um, and fill it again. So it could be a reservoir that wasn't just an, an empty reservoir. At that point, it was decrepit concrete, dilapidated, and we patched and repaired it. So that was kind of a physical landscape. And while it wasn't serving the purpose that I normally like to do projects, um, it did bring a lot of joy. And it was something the community members asked for. Mm -hmm. So we, I completed that project. I was a construction manager uh, in that restoration, historical restoration project. Um, some other projects that I've had, one of my other favorites was uh, installing culverts. Uh, mm -hmm. in Leaf Erickson. So the Leaf Erickson <laughs> yeah, in Leaf Erickson Trail. And so there are culverts underneath the trail that help prevent that trail from being wiped out. Um, mm -hmm. And they're large 48-inch pipes with baffles in them. So it was a project that wasn't just to help people and keep the trail in place, but also um, mimicked a, um, a stream. It mimicked the stream kind of uh, landscape. So it was baffles and river rocks. And for if any habitat goes through underneath that pipe, they're getting a, a pipe that acts like a natural stream. Wow. Well, I'm baffled at the biomimicry that's going on here. <laughs> I, <that's, laughs> I that was really good. <laughs> oh, thank, <laughs> thank you, Jay. <laughs> so, let's see. Um, are we, you ready? So we got, what, what advice do you have for young people who will inherit our current systems and the ones that you're building um, and who will become the stewards of tomorrow? I'm going to tell them to ask questions. A lot of the things that are going on in our current systems, we have to understand why they're in place. And sometimes those answers are not the answers we want. And they're the answers that are impacting people in negative ways. And there's reasons behind that. And it is systematic in a negative way. Um, and we need to ask questions because it's not something that they're going to tell us in our classes at school. It's not something that's going to be recommended or um, told to us as, as youth. So we have to ask those questions, see it for ourselves. The answers we get aren't always going to be 
um, the truthful ones either. So we have to dig a little deeper. I'd recommend digging and asking questions um, and then taking that to the next step and thinking how you can make it better. Sometimes when we're younger, uh, folks don't want to listen to someone who is, quote, inexperienced or doesn't have the 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 credentials, but that doesn't mean you can't come up with solutions. Yeah. Um, and to the second part of that, I'd also say, tell them to say yes to opportunities, get experience because getting the experience to get in these positions and places where you can make change, you only do that by getting experiences. So trying new things, um, taking opportunities and saying yes in these like formative years. Um, I've tried not to say no at all in my first five years of my career. Um, then the second part of that is to realize your limits can't do everything and it doesn't always make sense to do a hundred different projects if you're only giving yourself five percent the percentage doesn't math doesn't add up but you can't get everything <laughs> done um and fully commit yourself to too many things so you have to know your limits and that's a self-care piece um mm. that i would recommend to younger people you're right thank you jay wow so we're going from yeah, we're going to go from the youth to leadership. What do you wish current leadership would do to move community forward? Be a part of that community. I think our leaders should come from the community. Mm. Um, mm. They'll be invested in that community if they were a part of it and they saw how it was impacting them and the people that they care about. Uh, leadership needs to not use these leadership positions as career trajectory. You lose the authenticity of that if you're not actually caring and wanting to make a difference in these positions. And sometimes it means that our leaders need to be the folks that don't want to be the leaders. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna push back on that. No, I'm, but not on the second part. Because I had someone who wanted to be a leader who like passive aggressively was like, I think someone who should be the lead who doesn't want to be the lead, but then like they wanted to be the lead. They just want, didn't want to admit that. I don't know. I think, I honestly think that the best people to lead are people who, I think the people who stick around are people who want to lead. You know, I think people who, who are the best at leading, like they just, they just don't want to deal with the BS that comes with leadership, mm -hmm. but they do want to lead they do want to lead the organization to a better place. They're just not down for all the social backlash that comes from that. Exactly. I think you can be a leader in these positions without having the leadership title too. That's the other thing. I think that's where we have to realize that leadership isn't always with a title. You're right. Um, sometimes you can make a lot of change by not having that title because the title is where I think things get complicated with the bureaucracy and um, the publicity that comes with it. And that's not always authentic leadership. Sometimes, frankly, I trust a vice president or a support role, a chief of staff or a deputy position um, to actually push on leaders to do things and make the change. Hmm. That sounds good, Jay. You're dropping knowledge. You know, and I think when you when you make change, when you make a wave of change without having the title, I think that's what a tidal wave is, right? I don't know. Anyway, we're going <laughs> to... We're gonna move it along. Uh, what are what are some of your go to sources for data? 
Portland maps. I will tell that to everyone. It's a great place to look for all sorts of things. Um, as an engineer, if I go back to that, I use all of those layers, the utility layers to tell me the story of what was being, what was built in the past. And I can look directly at as-built from Portland maps as well. So as-built are plans on, it was like what was built there. Usually plans sometimes going all the way back to the 1800s in Portland. And it's really great to see that. Um, it's accessible to the public. There's plumbing records, sewer easements, um, seeing the other utilities. Sometimes I can even see projects that are coming. So Portland Maps is one of my favorite places for data. That's great. And I think Portland Next, is it Portland Next? Portland Next has upcoming construction projects. Yep, yep. Okay, dope. And I like to go in the field, of course, and just see the upcoming projects myself too, because you can tell when things are gonna start. <laughs> oh yeah. I was in a I was in a building and I was like, "Is this a new building?" They're like, "Yeah, how'd you know?" I'm like, "Cause your AC units are clean, and <laughs> nobody cleans those." All right. Anyway. I think we're gonna be cleaning a lot more of those these days after uh, you know with the COVID climate. <laughs> you got to make sure those ventilation is the ventilation's clean now. I certainly hope so. And if they aren't, then I'm gonna call you to vent about it. Anyway, do you have any book recommendations, Jay? <laughs> A completely unrelated book, but is one of my favorite books, and I want everybody to read. Honestly, I want people to read everything by her. But Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower. It is so relevant to the <laughs> the place we are now. It's almost as if it was predicted. The type of uh, politicians, the type of pandemic, this type of um, almost apocalypse type life that we were about. It felt like we were going into. Um, but I read her book last year and it really resonated with what we're going through now. So I recommend Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's great. I'm totally gonna, I'm not gonna make this pun that you work in sewers and you just gave us a book recommendation, the sower. You got the sower and the sewers. We're going out. I'm, I'm going to be bigger than that. Okay. So we're going to ask another question. Um, what, what inspires you to keep moving forward? Because there's so much work. I think that's what keeps me moving forward is there's so much work and well, I can't solve everything. We can't all do it all on our own. It takes teams and um, working with other folks and like-minded individuals. Uh, the fact that there's so much work to do means that I can't stop. <laughs> and so that keeps me moving forward and not to say that if there's no more work I'm not going to be doing anything else I think we all find ways to keep busy and feel fulfilled but there's just so many different ways to make change and be involved in the community and make an impact that it keeps me going forward almost as a necessity um, but also because it's just a passion of my own my own in this community that I'm in is to to keep moving forward that's beautiful Let's say, I know this, this one, this upcoming question, this one's a big one for you. If you had the ability to change one system today, one, which system would you choose? And then what would you change? This question is just still so big. Even as I'm thinking, I'm trying to answer it now. I'm, uh, I think of so many systems, food justice systems, uh, leadership pathways that we have. Um, I think the, the, the one I'm going to go with is I wish I could change the system of getting um, folks their needs for people to be comfortable and have the homes that, you know, can, can support their families to have the food 
that they can feed their families. It's that system and that's an economic system. So I would like to change that. There's so much of this capitalistic world that we live in that doesn't support disadvantaged communities, which are, I mean, people of color um, are the biggest part of that. The folks that are not getting what they need. Uh, we look at education and the statistics of that. You can see who's a homeowner, um, whose medium income in the U.S. is what, and seeing how low it is compared to uh, white people. So the economic system is something I want to change so it's more, we can have accessible needs to get the things that we need. Home, food, being content, essentially. I think that's beautiful, you know. I used to do some work on, I, I proactively search for positions that move economics forward. And I, I feel like at the end of the day, we're just talking about a redistribution of wealth, you know, or, or like, or a society wherein like your amount of wealth is not a determinant factor in your access to resources. That is a much better way of putting it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They're, at least from my anecdotal experience, there are a lot of people who want to have people have less than like that. That is like self-defining for them. And it's not just a white or black or white BIPOC thing. Like I've had BIPOC individuals discriminate against individuals against me, you know, like for, for stuff like this, I think that's a future that we can see. And I, one of the things that I think, I think it's, I think it takes more energy to, I think that that is the most efficient system. And I think that's why we see it in so many other countries. Like, free healthcare, you know, um, lower cost, higher education. I think it actually takes more resources to run with the current inequities that we have than not, you know? I think that our systems, if we let them naturally go without our political influences and like big personalities, I think they will trend towards an equitable distribution of access to opportunity just because that's like the most efficient model for society. What do you, what do you think about that? I agree with that. We also have to change the way that we think people can get access to this economic wealth. Uh, we have this kind of lie going on that if you get a college degree and you get educated, that you're going to make enough to support your family. And that might have been that way about 50 years ago. Um, but now it comes down to which which degree did you get then? And is it even a degree that you need? We need to talk, start talking about the trades as the foundation to uplift our society. Without the trades, uh, things are not being built. Yeah. There even I trust folks in the trade more than engineers a lot of the times because I used to work as a construction manager. So I saw the ingenuity that comes with that. And just the fact of not having the engineering degree changes some of the financial pathway that way. Um, and that needs to change as well. Uh, so we have to really rethink the fact that education does open a lot of doors and this financial wealth um, that is needed for folks, but it's not always the answer. Um, yeah, that's. I think the whole system with economics is needs a rework. <laughs> I'm right here with you. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna try to do my part. I'm an economic co-chair over at EPAP, but we'll see. I'll try to get some more people involved. Let's do it. Anyway, let's talk about transportation because I, I know you love it. So, <laughs> just, what, what is your <laughs> and I knew you put that question on there for me. <laughs> I know. I know. What uh, is I your, think my what is your favorite? favorite? The people don't know. You know the question. The people don't. I gotta ask. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite mode of transportation and why? 
My favorite mode of transportation is probably the least energy efficient mode, okay. uh, but it is it is flying because when I get on a plane, that is my access to see a new place. I, mm. I don't do a, I don't do a lot of repeat trips. I tend to travel for uh, leisure and to explore, and so uh, when I get on a plane, it's usually to go somewhere new, and because of that, that's why I like flying on a plane. That's great. I really thought you were about to say pipe. I, I, I swear I thought you were going to say pipe, you know, because it doesn't have to be transportation to human. That's all. But I I love I love flying. I used to I used to fly planes, actually. I have some pilot hours. I have some hours. Pilot really? Planes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't tell people a lot of stuff that I do because people feel insecure about <laughs> the amount of stuff that I've done as a human being. So I'm like, oh, I'm not going to share that. <laughs> so impressed. I'm so impressed. We're going to talk more about that later. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll do it. Yo, Jay, you could. I mean, anybody listening on this podcast, it is, it is surprisingly affordable to actually start working towards a pilot's license. Yeah, so that, that's something I found out. Um, thank you, OBAP, the official Black Association, the official the Association of Black Pilots. Thank you, OBAP and Delta. All right, so uh, we're gonna go to the next one. How do you think COVID has changed your local landscape? When I look around and I'm working on projects, one of the things I notice is how few people are actually outside. Um, I typically work in downtown Portland, and that is usually a bustling area of businesses and people and uh, folks driving their cars and on the max and the bus. And I don't see that at all when I'm downtown now. The bus is still going. There are very few people on it. So when I look at how COVID has changed my local landscape in the urban setting of cities, I don't see people out. But then I go and I work on a project within a residential neighborhood and everybody is on their street walking around getting in their daily walk to, um, you know, to self-care after being inside all day and working from home or, uh, and that's only a percentage of few folks who are working from home, but there are a lot more people behind their desks at home. So seeing people on their streets, walking their dogs, walking their children, doing their daily walks, I'm seeing more people in residential areas. So I think that's changed the local landscape of uh, who is out and where they are yeah i think that's beautiful do you think um do you think that any of the changes from covid do you think that will have like any lasting effects either on uh engineering or our society like the social functionings like do you think we'll we'll, we'll have learned something and we'll like oh definitely i do I definitely, I don't think we're going to be um, going back out into large public spaces for a long time. I also don't think we're going to be seeing companies purchasing brick and mortar buildings unless they have to, um, because what we've proven is we've get just as much work done in a higher stress situation, situations with the pandemic and everything that's going on. And we do it efficiently and we are doing it successfully from the comfort of our homes. Um, and those are for people who are working in you know, typical spaces where they can work from home. And we are also learning that those who have to be out, those essential workers, um, we're realizing how valuable valuable they are, which a lot of us knew that already, but people are starting to see that and value it more. So I'm hoping that there'll be a change with economics there as well, um, putting more dollars amounts to the careers that we need and are finding are essential. Um, but that's going to change who and who, again, who is where. Are they going to be at home? Are they going to be in a brick and mortar office building, it's that's going to change. Mm. And I think that's going to stick around for a while. And I think the masks as well. That's something that was pretty common in uh, Japan and other countries. Yeah, you're right. I, was, I used to live in Korea and people wear, wear masks all the time. 
I used to wear masks. I even I was at a luchador um, arena and everybody had masks. Those are different kinds of masks, but <laughs> it was the same idea. Um, they were just they were just forward thinking. So those are all the questions that we had, Jay. Um, I have one last question for you before you go. You know, uh, for those at home, this is Jay's first time on a podcast. How was it? This was fun. Some of the questions were very hard and got me thinking, which is good. I do a lot of thinking anyway, but this is more and making it in a way that hopefully is enjoyable to listen to. Um, Because I think sometimes we have a conscious stream of thoughts and I'm a journaler. So I think a lot and write things down, but being able to convey it in this like short time has been kind of fun and it's with a friend. So that makes it a little easier too. Thank you. Um, Oh, yeah. oh, I didn't know I was your friend. Oh, let's go. Oh, I feel all warm inside <laughs> and it's cold outside. So now I'm I'm doing good. So um, just last thing, uh, you know, if, if people want to support, I know that you're, you're involved in many committees and little things like where can people catch you and how, if they want to support the work that you're doing or be a part of it, where can they go? There are a lot of different places they can support this work. Um, I am the chair for the Environmental Justice uh, Committee for the National for NAACP in Portland. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can support that way by coming to some of our general body meetings, becoming a member, um, or just coming to some of my committee meetings. And I'm happy to share my email address with this podcast if needed. I also am the vice president of the National Society of Black Engineers, the Portland chapter. And we need support in just getting STEM outreach to youth and increasing the pipeline. Um, so that support could be coming to meetings, financially supporting, um, helping some of our partner uh, folks, but uh, follow us on at Nesby Pro PDX um, for opportunities there. And then I recently started a scholarship for the University of Portland. It's called the Brandon Diversity and Engineering Scholarship. Um, and I personally give $2,000 a year to a BIPOC woman student studying engineering. Um, and it's an open scholarship, so folks can support the scholarship and that additional funding goes to supporting more than one student. Thank you so much. So again, this is Jerisha J. Brennan. I will leave her email um, on the details for this uh, podcast. Um, depending on your provider, uh, let us know. Can, could you just name off your email now and we'll, we'll have it in text later. Okay, it is B-R-A-N-N-O-N dot J-R-E-Y at gmail.com. Thank you so much. We have Jay Jairisha Brannon, a philanthropist, activist, engineer, teacher, hero, volunteer, friend. Thank you so much. Thank you, Wally. This was great. Well, we're wishing you a great day and thank you for coming on Urban Eyes.